Welcome to the Holy Sparks Podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. Let's roll. Okay, welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Oh, I'm excited about this one. And without further ado, let me introduce the woman properly. Evelyn Goldfinger, a.k.a. Mrs. Eve, is a spiritual leader, performer, best-selling author, storyteller, and Jewish educator. Evelyn brings her interactive and educational shows, workshops, and spiritual prayer experiences to schools, JCCs, and synagogues, engaging thousands of children and adults. She is the founder of the Jewish educational theater company, Toratron. Maybe she pronounces it Toratron. We'll find out. Which also includes interactive videos with Miss Eve and her puppet friends on YouTube at Toratron, engaging thousands of spectators. She is the author of the best-selling books, The Shabbat Treasure and Words from My Heart, The Hands-On Jewish Prayer Book. Evelyn holds a Yeshiva University certification in experimental Jewish education, and she's a certified storyteller educator by RISE New Cage. She serves as RISE Young Learners faculty. Evelyn is the host of Raising Jewish Kids, a podcast that welcomes parents, educators, and spiritual leaders to have meaningful conversations about children's journey and our own in Judaism. Evelyn lives in sunny Miami, where she serves as the cantorial soloist while studying to be ordained as a cantor, enhancing spiritual practices by inviting individuals and families to join in singing, tradition, stories, and prayer. So ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together to welcome Evelyn Goldfinger. Oh, let's go. Oh, let's go. How are you doing? Hi, Sol. Thank you so much for that beautiful, wonderful welcoming. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm great. It's a it's a good day to be above ground, as my good friend says. So since I'm getting to know you here for the first time, I'm really excited you reached out to me about this podcast. I want to hear a little bit more about your background. So just talk about a little bit about your childhood, how you grew up, where you grew up, and anything you want to add. Yeah. So I grew up in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, and I moved to the States about 10 years ago here to sunny Miami, when when you are you know underground, it could be you're in the ocean, so that's a good thing sometimes. <laughs> Just to put a spin on it. Um, so I had uh, a beautiful childhood, very much involved in the Jewish life there. I was a counselor, went to come from Ma there, um, and I I always had two passions: on one side Judaism, the other side theater. So um, I studied communications, but at the same time, I studied theater. I devoted myself a lot to theater, professional theater for children and families. And I founded companies, several. Um, one was about providing underprivileged children with a theatrical experience and activity outside of their burdens and that lasted for like almost 11 years i directed that non-professional cast with with young people and then i also created torture and jewish educational theater and it, when i moved to the states um i started that again and of course it shifted and twisted and grew as i did too and then Miss Eve happened because that's my my name when i was going to schools as a specialist to teach Judaics through my puppets and through my songs and stories and uh, especially during pandemic times I started developing all these videos on YouTube both in English and in Spanish and I always throw in Hebrew words and notions and so yeah that's how Miss Eve became I guess more popular 
So it depends on my setting. If I'm also a cantorial soloist and God willing to be ordained as a cantor, as you said. So depending on my setting, I'm, I am known as Eve or Evelyn or Miss Eve or the lady with the purple hat, but it's all good. Okay, great. All right. Well, you jumped ahead about 10 questions, but we're going to roll back a little bit. Okay. Talk to me. I'm fascinated with South America. I've actually never been there. It's on my bucket list. I've been to every other continent in the world. And I want to hear, and for our listeners, talk about the Jewish community there, because that's something most, you know, certainly North Americans have no idea about. And anything you want to tell us about that? Yeah, um, it's Argentina. I can talk about Argentina specifically, yeah, and, and Buenos Aires. It's a very large Jewish community. It, it used to be even larger now because of everything that we know, assimilation, anti-Semitism, people migrating, it became smaller, but we're still talking, if I'm being conservative, I think uh, 150,000 wow, Jewish okay. people. So it was 250, right? And maybe even more. So um, yeah, so you have a mix and you have lots of options. Um, and there are communities mainly in Buenos Aires, but also in the other provincias, provinces, states. And actually many people arrive there. If you see the Jewish gaucho, which is the Jewish cowboy in Argentina, is very well known because actually this is a little bit of history lesson, but Baron Hirsch um, donated, purchased land for people facing pogroms in, in Eastern Europe to come and to... Um, to inhabitate those lands. So that's part of how the, the community grew. Okay, so the Jewish gaucho, Jewish cowboy, meaning someone that is rustling cattle, someone that's farming the land. What do you mean by that? Exactly that, except that grown from the shtetl in Poland or in Russia. So they arrived with no language, no, like they haven't been working the land for, what is it, 2,000 years ever since, you know, the Galut, the, the, the exodus from, uh, not the, ex the, ex the, expel the expulsion from mm -hmm. Israel, right? No farmers. And then all of a sudden, you know, wake up with the with dawn at 5 a.m. and you need to work the land because that this is what you do now. But at least you're safe for, from pogroms. So that that was the, the thing. And yeah, very brave people. And part of my family actually comes from one of these these um, colonies, as they call them. And, and it's a whole experience. I love it. And so there there's often a misconception that Jews in South America, let's say Argentina, are Sephardic, but actually most of them are more Ashkenazic. Would you would you agree with that to be true or is it now more blended okay so i think it depends on which country we're talking about and it is true i believe that sephardic jews um arrived first because of the expulsion from spain so we're going mm -hmm. back in time mm -hmm. right so definitely there were many communities that started because of that so there is a truth to that mm -hmm. but actually because of the, the the later migrations with all that we're saying right mm -hmm. um so it's not always the case but it depends on the country you could still have like a very strong presence like i believe in mexico sephardic community is huge and there are other places um but where i um was brought up it was mainly very um conservative not in the masorti movement way but very traditional until marshall t Meyer, from New York arrived, the, this rabbi that revolutionized Judaism, specifically in Buenos Aires, when he brought what we know as Masorti movement and the more liberal movement. And it was like a research, right, of, um, of people coming back to Judaism in that way. Okay, so this is fascinating. So, you know, usually out of America, they refer to the Masorti movement, but in America, they don't actually. It's more, you know, reform, conservative, orthodox, Hasidic, reconstructionist, renewal. I think that about covers everything. And so when you talk about traditional conservative versus Masorti, how would you differentiate those two things? And what did Rab was it Rabbi Marshall or what, you know, what did he actually yeah. do to, to move the needle in one direction? So when I say um, Masorti, I mean the conservative movement as oh, such. Okay. But at least in Argentina, it tends to be a little more towards the liberal, right? It's Okay. We call so that in America conservative with a lowercase c. But what does that mean to you? <laughs> but it's still affiliated. So it depends on each family. It's, it's like a whole thing. What it means to me is that um, egalitarian, as a, at least when I grew up, I don't know how exactly how it was 
you know, years before me because that started before my time. Mm-hmm. Um, singing with instruments, musical instruments on Shabbat, especially Friday nights, big Friday nights. That's one of the things also because in South America we turn we we tend to um, go out late and eat late and we are very social. Friday night it's a big thing. It's like the like the main service, if you will, not with respect to the Torah. I mean, we, we're still doing all that, and it's very important. And there's a simcha, but but people would go on Friday night, and then you want to talk about difference. Then we will go out to dinner. You don't eat before going to shul on Friday night. You work, and you come home. You change if you're like, and you have the time. Then you go to shul, and then you go to dinner. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. And so it's interesting. I'm just referencing North America versus South America generally, but generally in conservative world here, it's more, it's more Saturday morning culture, more Shabbat morning culture. So yeah. that's really interesting differentiation. Okay. What, yeah. what else did, did Marshall do? By the way, was he a rabbi? Yeah. 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 What, did, what did he do to, to change, kind of change the culture? Basically, uh, he he brought the movement. He did so much, actually. It's, it's very impressive, his, his work, but in a nutshell, that he built a synagogue and then uh, the seminary, which is now, till these days, right? These institutions, Camp Ramah, he brought Camp Ramah there. Mm. Um, but also he fought a lot during the times where the government, there was dictatorship. He fought a lot to, there were people who would disappear. That's how they called the, the ones who were disappeared. And mm. he fought a lot for them and especially not only within the Jewish community, but definitely within the Jewish community, he was a force. And being American in that society at that time, I guess he had also that that backup, I guess. Maybe, or maybe he felt that way. I, I only saw him like from afar, but, but his legacy is huge. Interesting. So what you're saying is people went disappeared, right? And th- these were Jews that were just kind of taken into prison or just... Oh, no, not just Jews. Like everybody, like not everybody, but, you know, people, especially from the left by the government. Uh-huh. It was, there were, was the military. It was very dark times mm. and very sad. And yeah. What time period are you talking about? So there were lots of dictatorships, but the last one ended in 82. I believe it was from the 70s. 678. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Now, here's another sidebar question, totally related. So I'm fascinated with Afro-Cuban music, Latin music, salsa, cumbia, all the, 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 the all the varietals of the incredible rhythms down there. And I'm actually working on a record that's all Nuganim based on Afro-Cuban and Latin rhythms. I'm very excited about that because I live in the Bay Area and I know actually some incredible Afro-Cuban musicians here. I know that's kind of a broad term, but my question to you is, in terms of the music in your shul growing up and maybe even kind of reflecting in the recent past, is it infused with those rhythms or is it more sort of mm-hmm. classical Ashkenazic music mixed with camp music that's kind of more, you know, what I would describe as normative here in North America? Yeah, I would say that for us, if I would say the mixture got mixed with what is like pop and rock from Argentina, <laughs> so oh, the composers, yeah. right? They mm-hmm. would, the ballads or the, the melodies, right? We have our own versions or even the songs that came to us and it were transformed, not for lack of respect, but that's, you know, a, a way of appropriation, like innocent appropriation, if you will, if there's such a thing, you know? Oh, for sure. Let's, let's go back years and years ago, right? When, you know, it was like either get the cassette or the recording or somebody traveled and it, it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so, but the composers, I believe what they did a lot, it's out at their own flavor, some tango in it, you know, some mm-hmm. uh, milonga, mm-hmm. maybe some cumbia. But but I believe mostly from what I grew up with, it was pop and rock, but Argentinian pop and rock, which has, you know, it own, its own flavor, its own uh, and way of singing also. There's a very different, very pop way of singing. As opposed to like, Cantorial as opposed to heavy on yeah. the uh-huh. So yeah, no, no over over cantor in these settings. Again, we're talking about the more liberal ones. Yeah. We're not talking there were definitely over cantors and all that stuff in Argentina. They arrive and they will tour and ta da ta. But if you go nowadays even to a, a, a conservative synagogue or a reform synagogue in Argentina, you you will see there's a style and we sing a little bit like we talk, like the pop way, right? Of it's, yeah. it's not about the 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 the, 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 the drills and the playing with it, but it's um 
arpeggiaturas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, if you want to be technical about it. And it's a lot of, if you're lucky and you have a singing community about the singing along and everybody wants to join in singing. So that's... I love it. No, this is great. This is super exciting to, for me to, to hear. And it's also just interesting how, you know, Western music kind of comes in, and dominates as opposed to the, the called indigenous music of the era, right? It's mm. really interesting mm. to me. And I want to bring those rhythms back because they're amazing. Like we need to do more two, three clave, three, two clave and rumbas. And like, we need that. We need that sauce. So, yeah. so you went to Camp Ma, and then was it a straight path in terms of moving towards being a cantorial soloist, wanting to do that work or tell me about the journey for you? Oh, okay. So I always loved going to shul. And again, that was primarily Friday nights. I went to a Jewish day school. I, I loved praying. And I started very young, especially after camp. I would like pray every night the Shema. And then it, it de developed at some point to praying every day with my own words, for, with the words from my heart, <laughs> which is the name of the book, Words from My Heart. And then incorporating some things of the tefillah of the, of the Jewish liturgy. Uh, no, actually, I was doing very much educational work and theatrical work. And I was a researcher in TYA theater for young audiences, like my academic hat. And then I would go to shul. And I, I guess the first official experience after my Bitva, the musical director said, do you want to join the choir? And I did for the high holidays. And I was there for you know a long time. And I love that. But it was just part of davening and having that experience and honestly it was much more fun spending high holidays as part of the choir than just attending because you get to be close to the action in Yom Kippur you didn't have to think you, know, you could think of, in, of music and spirituality more than how how much longer you know you could measure how much longer by how yes. many prayers you had like my mom I love this my mom always said when El Nora Halila came, which is actually Sephardic, because we did have a, a very influential Sephardic uh, Rabbi Ederi, Mordechai Ederi of Sikhon Recha. He was Sephardic. So him and Rabbi Marshall created a mixture of what Sephardic and Ashkenazi was, because they both he were heads of the community. Anyways, so when my mom used to say, when I know that El Nora Halila comes at Neila, I know that uh, I can breathe. It's almost the end of Yom Kippur. So... <laughs> Thinking about like like how do you going back to the famous rent? How do you measure a year? How do you measure young people? If you can measure in measuring yeah. right? Measuring uh -huh. in prayer. Uh -huh. Um, how wonderful is that, right? And yeah, I would go to synagogue and they would invite me to sing. Uh, but it wasn't until I came to the States, like I had been doing some stuff and the high holidays, but here God <laughs> um, put me in a synagogue as a cantorial soloist, and I was there for nine years. And in Miami, in Miami, yeah. Uh -huh. And as really before coming to the states, I I wanted to learn more, so I started studying Hasanut. But then during that period, I resumed, and um, and I discovered this world and and what you can do as as a shaliach tibur as a as the leader of tefillah and as a um, channel or habilitating, giving people permission to pray and to sing. And, and it came naturally to me, of course, because I come from the theater world, from the singing, from musical theater world, right? So to me, expression and, and, and really being a part of a singing community that expresses themselves in that way, it can be very honest and authentic. I know that people think that actors are pretending all the time, but sometimes what it enables you to, to lower your guard and to explore other parts of you and to connect deeply with your feelings and, and how you express yourself. So what I hear from you in saying that is, A, it's not a performance, okay? I actually have a theater background too, but when, I'm, when I am a shliach zibor, I'm actually praying. And what I hear from you is, so are you. And you're actually, you're able to unlock more within yourself and not only allow people to do that in the kahal, but in the community, uh, in the audience, in the congregation, but to model what does it look like to pray, right? And this is something that is so hard to, it's hard to remove people from this fourth wall concept, which comes from theater, which is there's the audience, there's the the bima or the stage 
and there's this wall that's in it's invisible that's the people up there they're performing they're doing the thing and the people in the audience are watching the thing which in theater is true but in shul in my humble opinion that's not really what it's supposed to be happening everyone is supposed to be praying or singing but because we have you know there's a lot of talented cantors and, and chazans and it's like wow I'm, I'm watching them do this thing but ultimately I like to get out of the way so people can actually pray. And that's really like what I think the best people do. And from what you just said, sounds like that's what you're doing too. Is that how you think about it? Yeah, definitely. That's that's the best thing. That's my goal for people mm -hmm. to be able to join in. But also I do respect this from theater that an experience could be moving without active participation. As a um, CYA professional, theater for young audiences, in many parts of the world, not from what I've seen in the States a lot, the right for the audience to be there and not being doing stuff, which is being an audience, taking being moved and, and experiencing things in a very deep level is still valid. And it still happens to me when I see colleagues and I had I was fortunate to to see one of my colleagues this past um, Friday, assisting my of my colleagues to go daven with them, to go pray with them. But at some point, I wanted to just hush and feel and observe and be transported by. So it was, and and this is something new because usually I would say yes, I totally hundred percent with you, Saul. Mm -hmm. But this happened this Friday where I wanted to be quiet and just pray through this person. You know what I'm saying? Like let this move me from the heart without maybe uttering all of the words without. Being yeah. even loud, like in a Hana way, if you like, like just whispering and, and, and let the other person just move me. So I think there's not one way, but I do believe, though, that it's very important for the intentionality of to be officially and mm -hmm. not a diva. Mm -hmm. If we can help it, that would be great. We're, work, we're all working on it. Yes, I love it. And it's hard. And it's hard. Like you're, you're a Shaliyah Tibur, right? You, you, you have that position. You have that position. So it's a work that it's for us. It's like our in any moment of every prayer. It's like I'm not, I'm just sent here. We should recite Hineni, like, honestly, more than just on the high holidays. Because it is, it is the work of the Shaliyah Tibur to think it's not about me, but at the same time, I'm responsible to make this an, a quality experience, mm -hmm. a good experience, whatever that means. It could be, yes, do not miss the notes and do not sing off key because your community will notice. Or it could be, do not mess up with the Hebrew. Or it could be, just get out of the way, like you said. Mm -hmm. Be quiet so that they can sing. Don't be quiet because they don't know the words and they will feel lost and betrayed. So mm -hmm. it's... it's you are a shaliyah tibur, you need a community. And you need, if you can know that community, or if you can sense that as you go, because it's a it's a dialogue, right? It's like storytelling. It's, it's a dialogue. And you have to listen and to give back and to use that energy. So it's it's a lot, but it, it is a job. It's like, <laughs> yes, that's the role, right? It's a, it's a dynamic biofeedback loop. Right, you're. I, I like to describe it like this: like you're constantly taking the temperature of the room. How are we? Do we need to turn up the heat a little bit? Cool it down a little bit. You know, it's it's a constant. Some people love planning services. Like my wife, she's a cantor. This is a little funny side note. We might edit it out, but hey, I think it'll be funny. She loves planning everything. I love literally showing up with nothing planned at all. I mean, we kind of know what needs to happen, and you know, and Mariv and Shachrit. So like, okay, we got that, but like. Okay, let's just show up and just stand there for a second. What do, and then feel what you think that the kahal needs, and then do that. That's that's very interesting. But I guess it has to do with your own style. And over the years, you get to, to you get experiment, hopefully. For sure, and you, it's a level of comfort. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. So now I want to transition a little bit. Okay, talk about why a large body of your work is focused on kids and kids' music and kids' education. Talk about that and, and you know and and why focusing on kids that's a great question i don't know if i somebody like bluntly said like why kids <laughs> i could say why not but if i may think about it for a minute first of all it's an energetic thing like i i would cross kids and 
I could connect with them. Like kids tend to look at me and to smile and to say hi. Sorry, did you say I would I would trust kids? Is that what you said? You would, oh. if, if I cross paths with oh, a child cross paths on with the them. street. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. They would like easily engage. I don't know why. It's an energetic thing. But I do know that, and maybe this has to do with the fact that I live in a second language, but honestly, it might not be even that. I can be very good, if I may, at simplifying very large and um, complicated concepts. I believe because it's the way I understand the world. If you give me something very complex, I can, you know, play with it and learn it, but I need to bring it to a very simple idea. And sometimes I can be very good at that. Sometimes I'm not. But, you know, but it has to do with the fact that I can talk to kids about God and spirituality and prayer in a way that they can understand. I can bring the Persian, find like a word or something that they can really relate to. I guess maybe that's that's part of it. That's like why they choose me. That's why kids choose me. What I've been saying right now thus far. Okay. Why me see? I guess I'm also optimistic and fun and I love, you know, being funny and, and silly. I, I don't I don't mind doing that. Now for me, why kids? I think they they're just wonderful. They are my teachers. They're like everything I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh-huh. They I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're not perfect, that they're perfect or that they're not tiring as parents we know. And that they are not, you know, there are not tantrums and they have so much to learn. But at the same time, that innocence and that, I don't know, maybe that there's an explanation because they're closer to God, because they are the, if you believe that, then the shama, the soul comes sure. from God when you're, you know, when a woman is preg- pregnant and when the kids are born, then in time, they remember the most. They are the closest to divine. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's how they carry themselves in a way. There's so much magic. And also, of course, of the future and all the, the important stuff, like the serious part of why children. But honestly, there's magic there, right? I have this concept. I don't know how old your kids are, but mine are six and, and nine now. Wow, I just turned nine. Uh, that, that, you know, really they're in this like, theta brainwave state for the first six to seven years. And it's like, they're, they're not they're not fully... They're still deep. I mean, we're all connected to Chimayam too, but they're really connected. You know, they're like in in a non in a very fluid way, mm-hmm. uh, and they're also the most honest audience. I like it. Oh yeah. Or, or they're gonna get up and move. Like they're very very honest, which which I love about that, and that's just very refreshing. So, segueing, did you start doing kids music after you had kids, or how did that affect that, or was that all at the same time? Oh no, 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 no! I started with uh, as a counselor working with kids, as a performer doing um, plays for kids, as a playwright play, uh, writing plays for kids. Mm-hmm. So, no, 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 that was like way before. But since becoming a parent, mm-hmm. everything changed. And now I feel like I'm more qualified than ever, but also like I can understand them in a way, like a whole new world opened up mm. to me. Mm. Um, I just have like such a deeper understanding and therefore respect for, for, both for kids and for parents and educators, uh-huh. you know? Uh, so I think it's like the best, it's a great way of, of, of working this path of, I, I would really have would have missed out had I don't have the experience of of becoming a parent, whatever that means. You know, it could be your child adopting, being head of the school and have all these children, but really being around children mm. a lot um, in a personal level, not only with your work. At least for me, it changed a lot. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how old are your kids, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> uh seven at three. Seven, okay. Got yeah, it. so it's a great age. I love that. Great we age. get to play together, rehearse together. Um, rehearse together, that's the best. Oh, for your shows? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, anyways. Sweet. 
yeah i respect their privacy too much so i don't give a lot of details because you know i i grew up with that so never on the videos just the voice but i respect all of the parents doing whatever they're doing with their kids this is just my style um that's why i don't post pictures with kids unless you know there's an event and the synagogue is authorized and they're promoting and so then you'll see all the, the emojis right. but there's nothing more satisfying than when you see them in action and they are like in a show let's say interacting with you or or again i'm very used to kids just to focus on the kid who's not being doing anything they're not jumping they're not answering your questions they're just looking and smiling okay. or grappling and and they are just there present and i think that's the gift both of theater and mm -hmm. of tefillah jewish prayer to be mm -hmm. present 100%. Right? yeah that's why it's called the present it's a gift right yeah. okay talk to me about puppets oh I didn't bring any. <laughs> oh my God, no puppets. Okay. We I mean, we puppets. should, we can pause the video and then I No, can, it's like, fine. It's okay. Just, you could talk conceptually because most of this is audio, but uh, yeah, talk to me about how that evolved. And uh, did you, did you watch Sesame Street as a child? Did that influence you? Very little. I, I would say no. I like, I was aware that that was a thing, mm -hmm. but no, but I did have, uh, I, I still remember, I don't know if it was the first, I'm sure it wasn't the first puppet show I went to. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have a video recording that the the puppeteer did and sell. Uh, he sold after the performance. Um, it's called El Molinete, which actually I don't know the word for it. It's like a kite, but the one that 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 turns around like um, it's just like, it's like a flower that rotates. I know that some people put it in the garden. Um, it's like a oh, like pinwheel. Oh, you, it looks like a fan. Yeah. Pinwheel? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Pinwheel. Yeah, thank you. That. <laughs> okay. And brilliant guy. And I met him years later as an educator in a conference. I was like, oh my god! Like to me, that was like my first encounter. Then, as as I became an actress, I was fortunate enough to work with an amazing puppeteer. Um, it was actually an English-speaking theater company in Argentina, so English as a second language, and I would perform in English. I was the actress, and there was this amazing puppeteer from Chile and he I, I learned a lot just by working with him but I always loved the puppets and mm. interacting with them and to me that was like so magical and how they interacted with the kids and and the suspension of this belief that the kids have when they see the puppet and yeah it's a character yeah it's a whatever it is you know it's a Martian it's a and so fast forward when I came here I use it in my classes and because everything changed and from being four in Argentina with my Toratron shows for actors, I became two and then I became one. And I always wanted to do one one woman shows, but I started uh, bringing the puppets back. And that's just fantastic and so much fun. And as a playwright and as, a, as an actor, I love playing with puppets because I guess I get to do you know, all this playwriting as I go, I have like a partner. It's just that, you know, they don't do much of a heavy lifting before and after the show. That's my only complaint about them, honestly. <laughs> They're not good roadies. I got gotcha. you. No. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I did learn um, a lot. I'm learning still about Jim Henson. And honestly, one of the greatest things, the greatest guys you have that we had, of course, our own references in Argentina, but um, would you be my neighbor? Mr. Ro Mr. Rogers? Miss Mr. Rogers. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I didn't at all grow up knowing even about this guy, but then I was like, <gasps> fascinating. Mm. Like how mm. like that connection and the use of the medium such as TV to to um yeah, to get to that. And it wasn't about his puppetry because we know, I've seen the videos. That's right. No. It was about his philosophy and just the way he was able to be, I guess, on and off camera. And he was like, like seriously, one of the hidden Sadakim, total righteous human being. Fred Rogers, amazing. You have, there's yeah. a great movie about his life. Uh, just his his love of humanity and love of kids is just it's it's amazing. It's almost unparalleled. Yeah. So that that's one of my references. Uh, Jim Henson, I love what he's done, but then again, for me, it's like a more, it's not an innocent thing, you know, growing up with that. Yes, I know about the, I knew about the Muppets, but it was like more of a Disney thing, not, you know, not a regular thing for me.
But I did still have these Argentinian characters and, and puppeteers that, that shaped me. And, and it's, I'm still exploring. I think there's so much to be done with, with the puppets. And of course, today I was thinking about Avenue Q, which is like for grown-ups. Even, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not... Actually, puppets, I don't think they were invented for kids back in Italy. I, I, yeah, well, I mean, if you go to like, like Shadow Balcony, Shadow Puppet Theater, it's, you know, this is a very old old art form. Trendy, it just kind yeah. of, the physicality of it evolved over time, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so transition a little bit here. Talk to me about your podcast. Oh, yeah. So Raising Jewish Kids. Thank you mm-hmm. for asking. So it started because I wanted, I know all these amazing people from being in this world of Jewish education and song leader. And I want to have an Ashira song leader bootcamp. Shout out to everybody. I'm going mm-hmm. to New Cage. Uh, the storytelling rise. And I wanted to have deep conversations because what happens is sometimes is that adults who work a lot with kids, educators, maybe have these discussions, but privately or inside of our institutions and organizations. Mm-hmm. And it is okay to to share them with the world. I said, I, I cannot be selfish. Like I cannot sit with you and talk all these amazing things. And then great that it's just for us, but what if more people could join in the conversation? And um, I, I was very lucky to know some entertainers in Argentina from the secular world and learn with them a lot about intentionality in our work and how as adults we can do our work with children but still keep the magic and reflect on that. So that's a little bit of how the podcast um I didn't see that there was something like that around and I said this should be a podcast. Mm. Uh, and as many of the things that I do, when I see something missing, I just go for it. And sometimes I don't measure the consequences a lot, but it's okay. <laughs> it's called. I mean, the work that jump and the net will appear. Ready, ready, fire, aim. That's what it is. Ready, fire, aim. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but let me ask you though. So, is the podcast because you're just really referencing kind of Jewish educators and people working with kids? But the podcast is actually is it more for parents or more specifically for people that are working with kids or both? That's a great question. So I said that this podcast is for parents, educators, and spiritual leaders. Uh-huh. And I've been having amazing conversations this uh, week is with uh, Rabbi David Pasking. That if you know Rabbi David, he's like this rock star with an amazing philosophy for kids. And um, uh, Eliana Light was here and uh-huh. we talked about God. And, and what I love about talking about these things is that you cannot teach a child like properly intentionally doing the work without facing yourself like these type of works right trying to, to teach tefillah or yeah. and it happened with my book as i wrote my book and invited children mm-hmm. to pray with the words of their heart it was a challenge for me i had to revisit that and now like i pray to god more than ever mm-hmm. because it just opens the door. So all, all just amazing people. Penina Shram, the, the mother of modern Jewish storytelling. Um, she gave a masterclass, actually. Uh, and I love these people so much. They're amazing. And I know, you know, some more, some less. But to be able to connect with them and to be able to sit with them. And it's not, you know, only like do this craft. But to really have deeper conversations. Like what's the intentionality behind it all? What are you questioning yourself while you're teaching this to your child? How do you do this at home when you don't, you know, you don't practice enough what you wish you had? Or, or you don't really agree with what the school is doing. And at home you do something different. What happens when you have a kid with special needs, Joni Kalen, and you know they the family approaches to your synagogue? So all these things that are part of our, our lives. So I, I want people to have an outlet to be able to listen to conversations and to be able to to join in the conversation, right? If they want to. I love it. Okay, so here's a good question. So you said something really powerful that uh, I don't want to let slip away. You said what, whatever work that you do, whether it's becoming an author, you know, developing videos, developing content, working with kids, being a shliach zibor, you have to face yourself in that work, right? Which is, you know, wherever you go, there you are. But I want you to talk a little bit more about that. And more specifically, what have you had to overcome? Pick whichever genre, you're multi-talented, whichever area you want to focus on. What in that 
area have you overcome that you could pass on to someone else that's going down that path? That's a great question, Saul. Thank you. I think I forgot the first part of the question. I remember the second one. <laughs> oh, face yourself. Face yourself. Yes. If you allow it to happen, it's a great thing. You can also be in denial, right? But let's not focus on that. Let's imagine that you are in this world because you do believe that there is growth and there are possibilities and there is a learning curve and, and that you need to learn stuff. No matter how old you are, no, ma no matter where in your journey you are, you're not done. You're still here. There's more to do and there's more to learn and there's more to mess up, right? You, you still have like lots of mistakes to learn. So all the things that I told you, I wasn't a puppeteer at the beginning. I didn't know if I, I faced myself of being alone in the stage. Absolutely. I actually went took courses on how to do a one-woman show because I had no idea. And now it's like almost all I do. And it was crazy when I realized like, wait, when, when did this happen? Excuse me? I remember having conversations with people who had one feet, like going to shows and saying, okay, this is what they're doing. I'm trying to figure it out. And I became a professional storyteller. One of the things tied to that, I was like, or, or, or a puppeteer, or now that I'm becoming a cantor. And that wasn't necessarily... On my, I guess it was on my path, but I didn't see it. And definitely with the book, if I may show you. Yeah, of course. This is this is something that when you say this is came out of the, the second part of your question. Okay. What is what is one thing? Thank you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Words from my heart, the Hans Jewish Prayer Book that you think you face and you can share. And and this book came from my own experience with prayer and with my students, and definitely with with my kiddo at home because as I was praying and. I should have mentioned this. Prayer is very natural to me, right? It took me a long time to realize that it wasn't for other people, that it's a thing. Okay. Right? That's, Pause for a second. Right? Why do you think it's not more natural for you? And, and I can talk about that too, but what is it? And, and if there's something in there that you could help unlock it for other people? Yeah, I think it's a flow. It's a connection. Mm -hmm. sometimes I, I describe it as being in love it just feels right you know it's just and I guess it's the way I'm wired it also has to do with lots of years of practice going in retrospect um funny because I I can remember sorry to interrupt you but no I used to pray as a kid too all the time I would walk in the nature I would walk on the beach and I would talk to God with no form I, I was raised super reformed but we'll talk about that in your podcast <laughs> exactly <I> naturally <laughs> naturally do that and i don't know that that's true for everyone and i don't know you know i mean i think kids are naturally more connected and they, they're they're just less afraid there's less walls but it's, it's nice to hear you say that because there's someone else that did that too and so we and then we find this container where we can give that to someone else i love that i think Sometimes it helps if there's an enabler, somebody who opens the door for you. And I guess this is what I'm trying to do. And this is why the book exists. Mm -hmm. Because I do remember that in Kampra the girls in my room, they would say the Shema Israel. And I went to a Jewish day school, so I knew about prayer. But I guess I remember that because that was something that enabled me to, to say, okay, prayer is part of what I can do. And then, yes, you have to have that connection, that facility or that 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 desire for expression, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, I was sharing this at actually Liana Light's podcast when she interviewed me. I, I would say that I'm the I'm the oldest of in my family, like for my siblings, the eldest. And I would just come every day, wake up and go like to the middle of the, of the living room, not the middle, like to the end. But, you know, up there in the open and just pray. And I didn't bother anybody. I didn't ask anybody mm -hmm. to be quiet or da, da, da. they just needed to know that, you know, unless it was something urgent, please don't disturb. Because I was praying and I was doing openly and publicly, I guess from that, I'm, I'm not ashamed of praying because to me, that's part of what we do. It's like, you know, being ashamed of doing whatever it is that you do in public, of singing. Okay, sweet. So in terms of like the what you had to overcome, to, that what you can give, I, I think I would see the common denominator generally is fear. Like it's fear of, right? Fear of not knowing, fear of being sort of imposter syndrome. I can't do this. I can't do a one-on-one -on -one show, whatever that is. Would you would you agree that's sort of common denominator or is there something else you would add into that? Oh, I love that. Thank you for, you know, for that comeback. 
it's, it's a challenge too. Definitely fear the, mm. the unknown and, and not uh, the unknown, really not knowing, right? Not fear of messing up, but really how do am I supposed to do this? And yeah, maybe the imposter syndrome could be, could be, am I ready to do this? Right? It's like having kids. No, you're never ready. You will never be ready. Yes. It's never a good time. <laughs> never, ever, ever. I mean, I admire people who said I'm ready and this is a good time for me, but honestly. I um, so I guess it, it has to do with that in my case. And in terms of what I overcame was, to me, prayer is very important and Judaism is very important. And to me, it's a treasure. And I would say that we are the guardians of the treasure and we get to learn it, grapple with it, live by it, enjoy it. But it's for the next generation. So it's our job to, to enable it, to hand it, I wouldn't say down, to hand it on <laughs> to the next generation, to pass it on, to, to gift it. Um, and also to gift it in a way that it's enticing, right? Like, oh, here you are. No, this is a gift, right? Happy everything. This is yours. This is your heritage. So how would I, that was the question that I overcame. How can I make this accessible, available, pertinent, interesting, engaging, proper at their age level for my students, for my, for my, for my children, for everybody? How can I share what comes so easily and natural to me? Like, Saul, how can you share your experience uh, of it of, uh, in the in, in the in the forest with the trees and the birds and praying to God, right? I'm, I'm maybe making it more, you know, I'm painting a scene here, but you know what I mean? How can you share that without just saying, like, how can you open the door for them to experience it? And this is how, the book came to me because I said, you know what? I think I can make this simpler. Mm. I think I can know what you need to experience. And this is why I work with four of the word concepts behind prayer, behind Jewish prayer and prayer. So this is how we work. And it's experiential. The kids get to write and cut and draw and paste. Everything that you'd say you couldn't do in a C-Tour. No, no, no. This is not a C-Tour. It's a prayer book. It's a, to make it your own. And then mm. from that experience, we connect it to Tefillah. We connect it to, okay. I feel the gratitude. I know what it means at a four-year-old level, at a five-year-old level, maybe a three, they get some help. And like seven, eight, whatever they are. And then, okay, now like we can link it to Modeani. And what does Modeani mean to you? And can you try it for a week? Can you try it for a day, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and understand that these are words that people created. But A, you still have the right to create your own words and you don't have to write them down. They can be spontaneous, right? But B, you have all this wealth of, of amazing, delicious, yummy, well-constructed words in case you need them. Mm -hmm. So you get to do your thing and, and even if it's just with no words, right? And you go on if you wish to sing along also. Beautiful. I love it. It's funny. I, I work with my kids uh, day school, helping them with prayer. And, and so just send me that book. We're, we're going to use it. I love it. I love the idea of, of wrestling Amazing. with the door, spilling grape juice on it. You know, if, if it's, if you're comfortable, like if, to me, like if where you do Kiddush, if there's no grape juice on it, like so you missed something, right? <laughs> you got to get in there. Right. Okay. So a couple things. I love that. Anything that you want to talk about that you have upcoming that you'd like to promote or a book or podcast or video or anything else that we missed that you want to share with people? Thank you. Yes. Uh, so, by the way, your name is so proper for this podcast and for everything that we have been um, discussing, like soul. It, yeah. Soul and soul, just, you know, the sounds. In Hebrew, we do that a lot. Yeah, it doesn't quite spell the way, but it sounds like that. And so the yeah, Ramanin said that. <laughs> Shut up. But it's very special that you you carry that name. So yeah, definitely the book. Check it out. Words from my heart, the Hanson Jewish Prayer Book, and it's available at my website shalomeve.com or via wherever it is online that you get your 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 prayer books. It's very inviting. It's for kids ages four to eight, and sometimes it's three with helps of parents and nine. And it also has 
It has the four sections, as I said, and and it has it helps also with an introduction to for parents and and also for another for kids to know exactly what to do, and it goes beyond the prayers, but what prayer is and how can we connect to God? And I spell that G star D because I invite kids straight. I invite strictly kids, not the parents telling kids. Like I said, you know, you can relate to the divine in different ways, and and there are different names and people pray in different ways. So. There's a short introduction and it's super hands-on and super fun. And you can um, check out my videos. I have tons of free stuff there on my YouTube channel. It's called Toratron, like my Jewish educational theater company, T-O-R-A-H-T-R-O-N. And of course, the podcast, Raising Jewish Kids. I would love for everybody to jump in to send questions and suggestions. And Soul will be there soon, right? And we'll talk about amazing things i have already we have to paint that you have to paint that picture of the of the forest we might start with that i'm already <laughs> excited about that for sure i love it okay last question first of all thank you for your time i really appreciate it i know you're a very busy woman doing many amazing things and i appreciate you spending some time with us this afternoon i love this thank you so much for inviting me and and also to invite me to to share what i do and where people can find me and and thank you for all you do because i've been listening to the podcast and it's great to know the behind the scenes. And I don't ever, I think, get to speak about Argentina and the Jewish cowboys and all that stuff. So yeah, thank you. We can do a whole nother episode about that. Go deep into the mind of the gaucho. Okay, here's my question. What do you think the Jewish world needs now most and why? Appreciation for what we have, gratitude. It's not one thing. Clarity, union, pride, strength, remembering the why. Well, Miss Eve, I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I want to give you a blessing that Hashem should bless you with great success, great joy, with great connection to kids and big kids, and that your love of Yiddishkeit and our treasure that we have should be conveyed with ease and with simcha and with shalom. Amen. From your mouth to God's ears. Amen. Thank you so much. I love that practice of blessing. God bless you and your family and everything that you do too. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul K. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps us more than you know. Drop a review. Share this with friends and family, people you think would enjoy the content. And we'll see you on the next episode.